Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and a very warm welcome. This is the Motormouth Podcast with myself, Harry Benjamin, and Tim Sylvie, where in each show we sit down with a figure from the world of motorsports and dive into how exactly they ended up where they are now. F1 champions, team principals, Formula E and touring car stars. If there's anyone with a story to tell, they'll usually tell it right here. Motormouth is an app and website where you can catch up with all the latest F1 gossip at motormouth.club and view live timings across a race weekend with our app. We're also proud to be partnered with the Brain Tumor Charity, helping to raise awareness and help find a cure through events like our annual karting race, where you can go head-to-head against professional drivers, all to raise vital funds. For more info, check out motormouthkartrace.com. This podcast is brought to you by F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel programme of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport, and let's face it, any chance to get close to Formula One, we're all over it. Enjoy the very best race tickets and track hospitality, first-class hotels and unprecedented access you simply cannot get anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 experience, visit f1experiences.com, where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 experiences package by using the code MM11F1E when checking out online. So, what are you waiting for? Experience the 2022 F1 season firsthand with exclusive access courtesy of F1 Experiences. Get booking today at F1Experiences.com. Hello, I'm Tim Sylvie. Now, today's guest hails from Hampshire. Now, Harry, Hampshire is a stunning county with incredible countryside views and gardens. Did you know it also brought us the likes of broadcaster and British TV royalty Alan Titchmarsh, actress Amanda Holden, film star Colin Firth, the late Benny Hill, and wildlife presenter Chris Packham. But, Harry, as we're a motorsport podcast, it feels only right that I should test your racing prowess with the motorsport-related Hampshire question. So, can you tell me which well-known racetrack can be found in Hampshire? Is that all I get? No options. (laughs) No options. (laughs) No A, B, or C. you've definitely heard of it. In Hampshire? Yeah. Uh, what is, is it one of the, the big British ones then? Yeah. Um, uh, hang on. So let's just run through them. So, well, it's not Alton Park's up north. Neston's Norwich. Brands Hatch is down south. Obviously not Silverstone. That's Northamptonshire. I like this. Then then we've got, is it somewhere like, where, where's Cadwell? Um, no, that's, that doesn't sound right. No. Oh, there's another one. I'll give you a game. clue. I'll give you a clue. Um, British Touring Cars. Well known there. Oh, um, Come on. Not Donington. No. Um, the other one. Come on. The other one. You're not going oh. to get there, are you? No, I'm not. Give it to me. 
It is... I'm going to be so annoyed. It's Thruxton, of course. Oh, no. Harry Benjamin, what a disgrace. In my defence, I've never been there. Have so you not? It's, it's, no, I've well, never been there. It's one of it's the not... fastest tracks uh, and longest tracks in the country. Um, cars have been known to go over 190 miles per hour there. It's a driver favourite, 2.757 mile track. It's had British touring cars, super bikes, truck racing, historics, classics. And I'm assuming um, you knew all this before looking at it. Off the top of my head. Yeah. Damon yeah. Hill once drove a Williams F1 car uh, around the circuit at an average speed of 147 miles per hour back in 1993. So I um, hope you feel suitably shamed. Yeah, I really do. Good. I can only apologise. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, before we introduce today's guest, you and I have got quite an interesting week because it's Silverstone Grand Prix week. Yep. Um, I've got uh, the Grand Prix ball this evening at the Hurlingham Club. Tomorrow night, I'm interviewing Alex Albon for B&O at uh, Bista Village. So if people are around and they want to pop down, because I think this is going out tomorrow, right? Yeah. So if people want to uh, come down to Bista Village tomorrow night, they can um, see Alex Albon. He'll be there with B&O, one of the team sponsors. And you've got a very interesting weekend. What are you doing uh, Saturday, Sunday? Tell us all about it. Uh, yeah, well, I'm back on um, F1 GT, which is exciting. If you want to tune into Five Live, it'll be me, unfortunately, because um, Jack is doing Formula E stuff. So uh, do tune in if you're about. I think you can get it on the circuit as well and on the app and all that kind of stuff, as well as F3 and Porsche Super Cup. Don't forget the good old Porsche Super Cup as well. Long days. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited because it's my first time trackside. Normally, I'm hidden away in uh, F1 HQ, so I actually get to be trackside for a change. So I'm absolutely buzzing for that. So, uh, yeah. Exciting. Very exciting week ahead. Good stuff. Well, uh, without further ado, shall I introduce today's guest? I think so. Let's get on with it. So today we're joined by Tiff Nadell. Hailing from aforementioned Hampshire, Tiff is a British racing driver and TV broadcaster. In his younger days, he worked his way up through the likes of Formula Ford, Formula 3, and eventually into Formula 1. He'd go on to race in British Rallycross, the 24 Hours of Le Mans several times, British Touring Cars, British GT Championship, and many more before moving into television. Hosting the original Top Gear and, of course, Fifth Gear, we're here to hear his life thoughts, news, and opinions. Tiff, welcome to the Motormouth Podcast. Thank you very much. I, I'm still stunned, I'm afraid, Harry. I mean, that was appalling. Appalling, <laughs> It's Harry. dreadful. I mean, it's a, it's a reflection of the youth of today, Harry. You see, you probably <laughs> learnt probably learnt Chinese history and Russian philosophy <laughs> at oh, school. I love it. <laughs> Instead of the basics of learning the kings and queens of England from 1066, the current day, plus the counties of Britain. Uh, it's just, you have no excuse at all. Also, I'm afraid Tim Thruxton is 2.4 miles long, no. which I know very well because I drive round it three uh, days a month doing passenger rides oh. at a BMW, now an M2. Uh, so I, I do many, many passenger rides at Thruxton. It's just up the road from where I now live. And so both of you, I have to go oh, back to school back to and school. have Dunce's hats on for the rest of this interview. <laughs> shall, shall, we just, we, shall we just call it there? Well, well, Harry, Harry, where do you hail from? I mean, Scotland or Pembrokeshire? Or North, I mean, you have no knowledge of the south of England at all? Well, I, I, I live in London. I'm from right. London. So, yeah. um, well, it... Yes, it, I will hold my hands up. It's a poor effort on my behalf. Um, I, of course, am aware of Thuxton, but... I want to teach... Who's your geography teacher from prep school? Can I please have his name? Oh, it was, um, who, it, was, it was Mr. Rabbit. Um, Mr. Rabbit? So, uh, it was, yeah. You know what? He's the one you need to have a word with, really. So, yeah, okay. I can't right. take responsibility for that. Well, well. I can't believe it was every single... I named... I feel like I named every single one, Bart no. Thuxton. Anyway... <laughs> 
We've let's been, put it, we've been roasted put it. by <laughs> Tiff Nadell already. Water under the bridge. I think, Tiff, it's been lovely to have you on. Such a shame we have to call it early. Um, but thank you so much. <laughs> let's start with, uh, well, you told us where you're joining us from. You've got, a, for those who can't see, an excellent backdrop of uh, some brilliant photos and pictures on your wall and, and trophies galore. And, uh, of course, um, it started out for, as racing for you, didn't it? And, and there wasn't, you know, the coverage that there is now, I suppose. But how did you first get exposed to racing? What was your sort of, uh, knowledge like about it to begin with how did you get your foot in the door well, dad dragging me to good but as soon as i could walk because dad, dad used to go to brooklyn so i actually grew up in weybridge i was born in hampshire because my uh, mother's parents lived there in those days mum used to go to her mum to give birth and dad's was kept well out of it uh, <laughs> so actually i grew up in weybridge in surrey right next to brooklyn's uh, which i was honored to be a trustee for many years fabulous place you have to go there you haven't been to the brooklyn's museum do go um, so dad had been inspired to watch the great aero engine machines around the bank in Brooklyn's. And then as soon as I could, well, I was taken to Goodwood. In fact, that painting behind me, it's a bit, it's got those lights shining off it. It's about the only painting I've commissioned is me chasing Sterling Moss through the woodcut, the, the chicane, not the woodcut chicane, the, the chicane at Goodwood. Um, <coughs> and I painted it because actually in the first revival meeting, I actually literally caught up and overtook Sterling Moss. I was driving that Lister Jaguar. <laughs> but Sterling Moss was driving the Aston Martin that he won the TT in, in 1957 or something, whatever. And so the whole background is painted in 50s style, the chicane and all the... So I'm actually one of the pink spots in the grandstand watching Sterling Moss dreaming of being a racing driver. And then it's sort of the whole idea of the paint. I'm living the dream because then when the revival opened, there I am in a list of nobly chasing Sterling Moss. I'm, I'm in the picture twice is the sort of idea of it. So, yeah, I was inspired by, by Goodwood, you know, as soon as I climbed up the earth banks and saw these loud, noisy machines and these heroes resting through the corners, you know, all I wanted to be was racing driver. Yeah. But um, despite living in Weybridge, Surrey, everybody thinks I'm another kid with a silver spoon in my mouth. Uh, we grew up on, the, on what I call the wrong side of the railway line. So knows <laughs> in, in Weybridge, there's a place called St George's Hills, which is like the Beverly Hills of, of Britain, know, the most right? expensive place property uh, but we were down in a rent my dad had no idea of earning money he rented a, a flat an old flat we lived in from 1950 to 1970 he paid rent in Weybridge sorry he didn't want to get tied down by a mortgage thing and he probably couldn't afford a mortgage anyway so I grew up in this this wonderful place but uh, never had any money so I was living in this rented flat when um a dreaming of being a racing driver and I went down to as soon as I got I left school in the summer of 69 good record uh, oh, classic, for me. classic. And, I, and I borrowed mum's Morris thousand and all the savings I had from mowing people's lawns and washing their cars and being a temporary postman at the post office during the Christmas periods we used to, used to allow teenagers to do that uh, headed out to Brands Hatch Motor Racing Stables Racing School and handed over all my cash uh, and drove laps in their little Lotus 51 Formula Fords. But it was always a dream. It was, you know, we had no money to buy a car. Yeah. It was never going to happen. Uh, and I actually said, oh, well, I went to City University, a civil engineer. I did a five-year sandwich degree course and uh, actually graduated and worked full-time as a civil engineer for two or three oh, or wow. four years. Um, but uh, that enabled me to earn a bit of money, you know, in the winter, right? University every winter, work experience every summer. Uh, and in the summer of 70, I did race to the school races. Uh, and it's lovely. I always remember my budget. We used to wake up, you youngsters, you know, when you're complaining about the cost of your shots before yeah. you get out of the pub and drink yeah. all night long until 4am. Harry. Bloody Harry again, I tell you. Um, Every time. I'd be lucky if I could afford a pint of bitter once a week. But uh, <laughs> my earnings as a civil engineer in 19, so it was £45 a month. Wow. 
And these races, they were £30 a race. It was one race per month. Wow. And I was living away from home in Chelmsford, Essex. And, and I remember that I rented a, a little room in Chelmsford for £10 a month. So that was 40 quid gone. Yeah. So literally in 19... I lived on £5 a month. God. And it's, it sounds like Monty Python's, but it's the real numbers. Oh. I used to hit, hitchhike home on a, on, a, on a Friday night from Chelmsford and borrow Mum's Morris house and then off I'd go and try to dream this dream of you know, being a racing driver. That's my plan the... was, I guess, if I spent everything I had, you know, I'd meet a millionaire or preferably a millionairess who'd be so impressed uh, with my efforts ooh. that she'd... They'd sponsor me, but uh, instead it was this magazine competition, the Autosport magazine competition I entered, and uh, I won a Formula Ford racing car. Yeah, you know? that's a mad story. I've, he- I've heard bit about this story before, yeah. of winning a... I mean, you just can't imagine that happening anymore, but, yeah. but you actually won a very nice and very capable yeah. um, race car, a beautiful yeah. race car that you've still got today, right? Yeah, I bought it back. I sold it in about 1974. I sold it. I bought it back in about 2014 when it, it reappeared in Britain. And in a much better condition than I sold it, I can assure you. <laughs> um, but, you know, I didn't know. All I won was the car on the trailer, you know. By now I had my own first car, which was a Morris 1000 Traveller. And uh, so I scraped the rust off the back of this Morris 1000 Traveller, attached my Twitter tow bar, Witter. Witter, it wasn't, they still make them, I think. And um, so I became, you know, five days a week a civil engineer, five nights a week on my own in my little lock-up garage that someone loaned me. Tinkering and then away. The weekends, I was, the weekends, you know, I was the van driver, the mechanic, and the racing mm. driver. And, you know, this went on for the next five years of my life, you know, permanently Very broke. Cool. And, but um, actually, if you, if you, if you, I do this, um, I do a podcast as well on Monday nights on Love Cars. And, uh, it's a, also a channel, we do a TV show, we make a new series of TV programs, and it's um, YouTube stuff. But if you do watch Go and Look Love, I recreated the Morris Thousand towing the Formula Ford. Because, you know, back in 1971, I had no money. I had no radio in the Morris Thousand. I had no camera. I've got no photo of the Morris Thousand towing the racing cars. My racing career began. I certainly never telephoned that moved and had a yeah, camera in it. Yeah. I mean, so I recreated that. Borrowed Morris Thousand. When I bought the Lotus back in 2014, I, I repainted it exactly as it was when I won the car in 1971. So I've got the Lotus and uh, so I borrowed a green Morris Thousand Traveller, borrowed a trailer. We re, re, relived the moment. So it's very one of my nice. most tearful YouTube programmes. So oh, do look it up. Definitely. I'm very proud of it. It ends, it ends with little tears in my eyes. No, we'll so definitely I'm, look I'm it up. I'll tell you again. It's, um, we've, we actually had a question prep for you later on about what was your favourite car for mechanical reasons and then for emotional reasons. So we'll, we'll pause that, but I think I might know what the answer is already. <laughs> the one thing you mentioned there was was Goodwood. And uh, obviously we've just had the Goodwood Festival of Speed for 2022. Yeah. Did you see that insane McMurtry machine that Max Chilton <laughs> oh, drove God, up? Yeah. I've nicknamed like it, it the Moti McMurtry, a bit like Moti McBoneface. <laughs> I call it the Moti, the Moti McMurtry. Oh. I mean, it was absolutely insane. I mean, for hats off to Max Chilton. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, just for driving the blooming thing, for committing him. I mean, obviously, he's done lots of testing, so he was used yeah, to it. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I don't know where you go though with these things. It's a bit like Audi, to be honest. I mean, they they, they were bragging about being faster around Spa than a Grand Prix car. But I mean, if if you build something with no regulations, of course you yeah, can create. You spent a billion Deutschmarks or euros, as it probably is now. You know, create some incredible hybrid. You know, you can you know make make these incredible lap times, and this thing's got two tons of downforce yeah. sitting still. With its yeah, without even car. moving. Yeah, um, and where it goes, I don't know. I mean, they talk about one make series, but of course, the the little loophole that they banned the Brabham fan car because it wasn't le- illegal by the rule book. 
but they threw it out because it was chucking stones out the back. Well, that's what it, it was, does. That's what that's what yeah, the mercury what, does. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, what the it, it's got these little. Too. It's got these filters that on the side that catch bigger stones. But you can see when it was going up the hill, it's still yeah. puffing out dust mm. and little particles because of the fan. But again, you know, obviously they've got to have a balance between how long the race is and how much power you can have for the yeah. race. You know, with the batteries, obviously it goes up the hill with maximum electricity. as is the electric way yeah. um but how you quite race them you know and balance them but they didn't they didn't look very raceable it's all time right. to turn one and it'll so they also they're incredibly high tech i mean i saw the car at um the salon privé at banbury last year and uh they're all there's permanently got people with laptops yeah. put in it to yeah. make it work and you, you couldn't sort of run it yourself i don't think well it's so, they're, they're they're selling it as a um it's going to be a customer car for the road and the track so it's it's a bit like a sort of bac mono you know you can take it out on the streets of london they just got to oh, yeah. the the la- the lamps at the front take them a bit higher but what the, what will they be they'll be 300 grand each or oh, yeah. something yeah, yeah. Yeah, this, this is the problem all these yeah <laughs> actually they're talking to each other. max chilton was going to be my hero of last weekend have you picked up on youtube i retweeted it last night um, and I forget his name. I do apologise. He was in Motorsport Magazine in July. They broke the one Pikes Peak last weekend. Okay. Hasn't got hardly any press. Okay. Oh, um, he's done Pikes Peak for about four years. He won his class in the past, I think. Anyway, there's an onboard video of the whole run, and it was fog and rain. And I kid, I mean, people were questioning why it even ran. And when he got to the top, by the time he got to the top, he, he was down to sort of 30 miles an hour because he just he was soaked. And, and if you... If you watch the opening, the onboard, I've never been to Pikes Peak, but the first sort of two miles is a sort of permanent, some sort of gentle left, gentle right, gentle left, gentle right, all in fog. And you can only see about Look at that. So you have to watch if you haven't, because the out hero is Max Chilton. Um, <laughs> I'll get his name, but you, his name's on the, he's now my new hero. I mean, it's just go to the top list of hero. Hero worshipping for Pikes Peak. Wow. I mean, there's, I mean, there's so much stuff to, to see last weekend, especially not just Goodwood, but obviously going around it as well. We, we touched on electric stuff there. We do want to talk a little bit about that with you, but let's just pick up on um, sort of your early days as well. When you're stepping into racing, uh, with that, you got that opportunity with, with the Formula Ford car as well. What, what were the next steps after that? How were you sort of navigating the, the road to whatever it was back then? <laughs> I was just blindly blundering forward on a total overdraft all my life and borrowing <laughs> things. By the time I finished my Formula Ford career, I had a borrowed chassis, a borrowed engine, a borrowed van, everything was borrowed. You know, scholar, the engine tuners were helping me out, losing bills down the back of the settee. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was just, I was struggling towards the end because it was really, in fact, it only helped because I borrowed a Crosley 25F chassis. Because the beauty about Formula Ford, you know, you had free chassis from manufacturers who were quite good because, you know, there were 10 or 12 or 20 different manufacturers. Um, but I was, I was with Eldon and they'd lent me a free car in 1974, which was rubbish. And I was, my, my career, I was going to be a full-time civil engineer because I wasn't winning anymore. Uh, but a colourful character called Chris Hyatt Baker was one of the first members of the Bristol, uh, what they call the Lunatics Club, the extraordinary, went up, you know, skied down Mont Kilimanjaro on pianos and things. That's they invented true. bungee jumping off the Clifton Suspension Bridge. Anyway, he'd bought this amazing Crossy 25F, which was the car of 1974. I hadn't turned up to race in 75, and eventually advertised it for sale in the middle of 75 when I was going nowhere. So I phoned him up and said, Chris, Chris, can I borrow your Crosley, buy your Crosley, but not pay you for it until I sell it? He went, yeah, far out, man. Yeah, man, why not? So I bundled down to Bristol, discovered he'd discovered hang gliding. I think he could smoke his spliffs and not crash too much hang gliding. And, uh, so he loaned me this car for nothing. 
And I just started winning race after race after race after race because I'd finally got, you know, after five years, you know, the right chassis, the right engine, the right driver. And um, that got me a free Formula Ford 2000 uh, drive, which I won and lost the championship by point, won the pole position championship. And then I was voted the most promising young British driver. The, it was like the Autosport Awards of today. Yeah. So it was yeah. the Grover Awards then. So in 1976, I was voted the most promising young British driver. Great Sam James Hunt handing me over the check. Wow. He just returned from... Um, uh, Japan and we just won the Formula One. Funny enough, we both had it. I've got photos. Of it. We had identical hairstyles and both wore velvet suits, two piece, those amazing dark blue or velvet suits. Very nice. Um, and so, so, following on from that, I was offered a professional drive with Unipart to, to do, do their Formula Three team. So, I became a retired civil engineer in 1977. Oh, so, you wow. know. I'd already raced for six years, you know, the, uh, as a civil engineer, civil en- full-time civil engineer. The, the path, racing drove. The path to racing is so different now because we, we've interviewed well, a, few, a few people from your growing up, that era, and they all have a similar story where they're like, I had no plan. I was just taking each day as it comes. I was yeah, blagging bits yeah. and pieces from here and there. What, what do you make of the current um, ladder? Because obviously now you've pretty much <laughs> got to have money. In the money, bank. huge. Gotta, I mean, yeah. it's terrible. I mean, it's... it's I mean, science has ruined all forms of racing. Don't get me, you know, from Formula Ford to Grand Prix racing. You know, once you've invented, you can't uninvent science. Yeah. I mean, we'd run our Formula Fords, all of us, and transit vans and trailers, you know, you'd set the suspension up, and but it didn't have to be that critical. You know, you could drive around it. And, you know, I remember driving a Formula Ford for Top Gear about 96 or 97, you know. By then, it all had preload and pull rods. And uh, I tested the car one day, it was brilliant. So I tested the car the next day, it just had terminal understeer. And they just, oh, yeah, we've got a bit more preload. We'll just we'll change it by millimetres, you know. So you couldn't drive round the bad chassis. And that's what you see in the junior formula now. You know, you have to be in a Prima Formula 3 yeah. car. You can't be in a, another one, you know. Everything's because the car's the same. That means it's all down to the driver, but it's almost completely opposite. Because mm. you have to be the team with all the little shock absorber tricks, the millimetre-perfect setups, and... I used to laugh about because I went towards the end of my fall of four, you know, pole position, win the race, fastest lap. You know, I spent all week setting up my toe-ins and my canvas to put a little garage on my own late at night. And I'd take the car back to the garage the next Tuesday night, go back in the garage, I'd, I'd put all the gauges on, and it was all over the shop. So I'd spend four hours putting all the cams. I said, it's all over me. If I won the race like, by three seconds, got fastest lap, why don't I just leave the settings? And the settings weren't critical. That's what really, you know, hit my yeah, brain, that, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter that much. Um, and I think that the saddest thing today is I think we're obsessed with science. We're obsessed with, you know, carters have to go to a slick formula. They couldn't have road tyres. That's, you know, going downhill. To me, a junior formula should be there to find talent. Yeah to give talent. So it should be 90% driver, 10% car. And yet we've gone the other way. We've gone into really high-tech cars with this such trip-trick suspension. You have to have three mechanics and an engineer and a psychologist and a helmet design painter. Very important to get your helmet design each season. Yep. Yep. Um, and it just costs... I only found out just last week with uh, Gray Headley, um, James Headley racing GB3, on the nose cone and wing section on a GB3 car, national championship, a cheaper national championship, is twenty five thousand pounds. Yeah, 
It's insane. So, I mean, if, if you get run into the barriers, that's £25,000. You know, they should make the rule that, you know, one make cars. You make the nose kind of wing assemblies of aluminium. Well, there's, and, um, you know, like, there's, like uh, used to be, there's a company, mm. we, we have this, uh, we, we, we run these charity karting events um, a couple of times a year. And we at the last one, we had um, some cars come and do some demo laps. And we've had like James Hunt's Hesca 308. And we've had um, oh. a, a really stunning um, uh, Ford GT40. Um, and, and we also had a car called, uh, Formula Foundation, I think that's what it's called, Harry. Formula Foundation, mm. and it's it's they're trying to solve this problem. It's really cool. It's a father and son team with no business yeah. skills between them, but engineers, and they've built this race car, which uh, Adam Christodoulou, I think it was, or Seb Morris, one of them, drove around Wilton Mill for us, and it's a brilliant piece of machinery. But it's about something like twenty five k all in, like for yeah. the whole car, and he's trying to change the goalposts and, and find a way to get that talent into a car without mm. it costing the earth because karting can cost you 150,000 a year at seven years old yeah. you know, it's, it's obscene you've got to be spending it's, but it, but it starts, you're, you're spending the money you're spending the money to buy a winning machine yeah. it's a bit like Jonathan Palmer it's a lot of felt when Palmer Audi was really good for a while um, when that was was it early 2000s mm. I don't know Palmer Audi came out mm. yeah. anyway and apparently the theory was that the dads didn't like going to Palm Rowdy because there you had to swap your chassis and swap your engineer, didn't you, from race to race. So it was right. kept as fair as possibly could be. But they also found then the dads with the big money couldn't buy their son a better team, you know, and that's because nowadays this is what the richer the dad, that you go to Prima, you know, you, you log into Prima and you buy that chassis. And every time I look at Autosort Magazine, it's a very good um, uh, Twitter called Formula Scout. I don't know whether you know yep, them. They yep. put out all the results of cars. It's brilliant. I use it all the time now. But every time there's a photo up of a regional Formula 4 or a regional this or a Formula something, there's the old red and white Prima car, you know, first, second, third, fourth Prima. Um, so it's, I think it's worse than ever. And I don't know how we go backwards. I don't think we ever will. Because even though someone's coming up with a formula that, that maybe is yeah. what the people want, uh, the rich dads won't want to race there. You know, no. they'll they'll go to these expenses. You know, you know, I tried to sort of downgrade for. I suggested to Karim Chandok, but he's a big MSA, he's a big sort yep. of global motorsporty bloke. And I said, you know, why? Because Formula Ford was going really well last year. It's getting it was getting better and better. So I was almost suggested Jonathan Palmer. Why not call Formula Ford GB4? Instead, he jumped to this new idea. I, don't, I didn't actually speak to Jonathan. I was suggesting this on Twitter and stuff. Um, but instead, he went for the wings and slicks because apparently all the cartists, they have their wings and slicks. I mean, Ed and Sam didn't have wings and slicks, but it was a Formula Ford star, you know, and he jumped straight into Formula 3. And, of course, brilliant talent will always be brilliant, whatever, whether it's a buggy or a supermarket trolley they're driving, you know. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, F1 Experiences. F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula One, giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsports. Official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first-class hotels and transfers, and unprecedented access, including track tours, pit lane walks, VIP hospitality, and loads more. It really is the closest you can get to Formula One, and Motormouth listeners can save 5% on your next F1 Experiences package by using the code MM11F1E when booking online at f1experiences.com. Do you, do you think, because um... well, because some of the idea is that, I, I, I mean, there's problems up and down the ladder. You look at the top, you look at the bottom, you've got to change everything really. But one, I think one of the reasons why sort of things like F3 and GB3, GB4 have these, you know, little nooks and crannies, these wings and 
they're trying to prepare them as best they can for the next step up the ladder. Yeah, but they don't need it. It doesn't do need not to be think? prepared. No. No. Uh, no. Really? Yeah. But what if they? It. What if they? But what if, if they do? Surely they there. do. No, because I mean the amount of testing their labs do nowadays. You know, they go winter testing. They're about five weeks in Spain in January and February. You know, are they? Um, yes. <laughs> all the Formula Four boys are out there renting right. something. You know. So that's why I was saying, you know, Karun, sort of, he was obsessed with the fact that Britain has to have the halo modern carbon fibre cars right. to be able to attract international... Because, of course, the old days of only Formula 3, you know, Britain was the home of European Formula 3. It's so all the Americans, Brazilians, Australians came to Britain. Um, and he's sort of obsessed because, you know, the Italian Formula 4 and the German Formula 4 have got 40 entries each. Um, and he's thinking, well, Britain, we need to attract that. So we have to have the modern halo carbon fibre car in Britain which is what he campaigned for, which is what now obviously supports the touring cars. Hmm. But it's just the budget goes up and up and up and up and up and up. Yeah, it's all commercial. And, That's um, the thing, isn't it? I mean, it all comes down yeah. to economics at the end of the day, um, if it's not yeah. economically viable. And, and even Formula Foundation, you know, the trouble that they're going to have is that, yes, they, you know, they're doing something very admirable, but they don't have the business now contacts or backing to to put oh. it into the mainstream. And that's where they're struggling. So, um, well, if, I, if I was in today's world, I would be very much a civil engineer at the moment, full yeah. time. <laughs> I would have no chance of getting where I got. You know, but it does. It's, it's a barrier, isn't it? But, it, you know, and there will be lots of lots and lots of people who fall by the wayside in terms of your career though thankfully you you were able to to, to not be a civil engineer what was the highlight for you out of all oh, your right, racing well i mean big on the grid of a grand prix you know yeah. there's only one grand prix that i started it makes such a difference to my life the fact <laughs> that i did that one grand prix you know, that great ambition. And you know, I got there with no money at all, you know, talent alone. So I'm very proud of that fact. I mean, it was a shitbox of a car, but um, <laughs> it was... And of course, those days, again, you know, I love the fact that we used to have pre-qualifying and anybody could turn up. You know, the, when I joined in 1980, there were 30 cars turning up, you know, wow. and the fastest 24 on the grid in, in most rates, only 20 in Monaco. Uh, and the fact that you know, I'd qualified 23rd, you know, and I found myself sitting on the back row of the grid of the Belgian Grand Prix yeah. with Emerson Fittipaldi beside oh, me. Dreamland. I was thinking, me? Em- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One of my schoolboy heroes, you know. Wow. Now, and I went back to Monaco. I didn't qualify at Monaco because the first 20 of the 30 cars got into the race. You know, I was 19th in the wet, 2,000th slower than Alain Prost wow. in 18th. So... But it dried out and then I crashed the stupid car, which wasn't good enough for under a swimming pool. But um, the non-qualifiers party of my second Grand Prix attempt included the likes of John Watson and Keke Rosberg. So, you know. Good company. uh, Yeah, you needed a lot of talent just to get in the race. You know, poor Jan Lammers, who they were wanting to take my place, you know, it ruined his career because he didn't even qualify. He didn't get in the top 24 for the next five races. So it proved it was a bit of shitbox. But to me, the end sign was the best Formula 1 car ever. Yeah. 
Oh. It got me on the grid for that one race. It got you, know, you on the grid. Um, I mean, it's more than Perry McCarthy can say. Poor old Perry. Exactly, you know, yeah. That was a shitbox. I'm, I'm, I heard you were at the Grand Prix Ball. I'm at the Grand Prix Ball tonight. Oh, well, I think see I'm you on there. stage. I'm on stage with Perry with uh, Crofty interviewing us. So, oh, yeah. excellent. Yeah, I'll be there. So, so, so if Perry gets a bit cocky about his Grand Prix career, I'll be I'll be ready with yeah. my one star. <laughs> yeah, have some of that, Perry. Uh, and also, actually, funny enough, I've just put this on because I'm wearing it tonight. I'll be on a shirt to Perry because it's a it's a Grand Prix Drivers Club watch. Very nice. Oh, nice. With your name with your name on it. So. Um, if Perry gets cocky to that, I'll just yeah, do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, ne- you never raced in a real F1, to, uh, F1 race. Um, now, we mentioned um, it earlier about uh, your love of cars. You've driven a load of them. Um, and I'll come back to the question that I, I referenced earlier. What is your favourite car from an emotional perspective? And what's your favourite car from a mechanical um, and well, It depends if it's a racing car or road car, you know, telly um, car. Or, you know. Well, no, I think let's, let's, go, let's go racing car first. Because I, <laughs> well, I would, well, it's I would, I would imagine it's the Lotus. Ford. Yeah, yeah. Obviously my Formula Ford. And my Ensign Grand Prix car. Yeah. And the Porsche that I finished third at Le Mans in 1990. So, I mean, just those three steps. Yeah. Um, were the big steps in my life, you know, and then Le Mans, I did 14 times, and I just adored doing that race. So I was, I was very lucky, really, because when I didn't, you know, I tried to stay in the Grand Prix world, I hung around for another year after 1980, but once you reach the top of Everest, you, you go over the peak, you, you start sliding down very quickly. <laughs> you know, every, that's the trouble, you know, every year in those days, you know, there was another five really talented drivers pushing to get on the Grand Prix grid. What I love, in 1980, I added this up one day years ago, so in 1980, 41 drivers tried to qualify for a Grand Prix. Wow. 41, you know. I mean, now you've just got 20, the same yeah. 20, until someone, they don't get injured anymore. You know, I got my drive because Paul Clayburgh gets only had an awful crash at Long Beach and broke his back, you know. Having only qualified 23rd, which is the same place I qualified. So I keep adding those little yeah, bits nice of yeah, uh, <laughs> So, you know, drivers got injured. You know, they had their legs out in front of the front wheels and broke an ankle and had to miss six races and someone got a chance and... All these little fledgling teams that, you know, stuck a Cosworth DFE on the back of a bit of tin of aluminium and created a Grand Prix team and tried to qualify. And, well, Perry, for example, you know, Perry was in one of those tin cans. Yeah. Um, so it's that fact there's not enough opportunity for, you know, I, I was, I had some ideas. I always had ideas. You know, I want to get 26 cars in the grid or something. And mm. I thought about you could create a sort of an F1 minus or F2 plus category that Prima could go in and some teams could enter a car obviously slower than Formula One, uh, but there could be six cars at the back of the grid almost as quick as Formula One, but, you know. Um, and then I come up with a better idea. This is my latest brainwave, right? You get the four teams at the bottom of the manufacturer's table, points, right? So I don't know who they were, Hussies and whatever's Williams. And for next year, those teams will be allowed to build a third car for a private team to run. They wouldn't have to pay Ooh. any entry fee. And they can't take any of Formula One's precious money, which the swines are stopping Andretti coming in because they don't want to give any of their money away to anybody else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so, okay, we don't give them any of the prize fund. So, I mean, the Formula One team would sublet the car. Yeah. And they could, you know, they, they'd obviously have to come up with a budget. I mean, it's probably going to be £20 million or £15 million. But at least those four cars... You know, maybe they'd not be allowed to qualify higher than 21st to 24th. But, you know, they're on the grid. They're there doing a Grand Prix. Mm. You know, it's only a one-year contract. But also, maybe it would stop the Daddy Latifis and Daddy Strolls buying a flipping Formula One team to get their boys on the grid. If they could just buy one Formula One car for a year, 
for 20 million. Yeah, have, have your fun. Yeah, 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 I like that. Yeah, you yeah. know, I so, like that. You know, and also it would help the cheap, you know, the lower teams because they'd obviously make a profit out of whatever budget they charge, you know, so they'd make a bit of money. They'd get a third car on the grid, which might help their development costs and stuff. But we've got to make, we've got to make up some way of getting, you know, instead of these piastries sitting watching a television screen for a year, yeah, there's absolutely. That's to be some way absolutely. of getting them. I had another brilliant idea. Okay. <laughs> Every Grand Prix team right, has to have an official reserve driver qualified to race. But in FP1, he must be in every FP1. So the oh. drivers, the, 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 so the lead drivers would have to alternate as who didn't get an FP1. Yeah. Um, so your reserve driver now has done FP1 at every track, so he learns the tracks. And if one of the first two drivers falls down the stairs in the restaurant and gets COVID or something... He's at the track, he's done FP1, he's ready to race. Yeah, I think that makes perfect yeah. sense, actually. I mean, it, it, it gives everyone an opportunity, doesn't it? It puts people in a... It yeah. gets, gets bottoms on seats that, that should be there rather than sitting in the back of the garage with their headphones on. Um, and, <laughs> and, and there's plenty of people like that that are, are, are desperate for their chance. Not only males, of course. Yeah. You know, you've got the likes of Jamie Chadwick, who's now, you know, sh- arguably should be somewhere else. Um, you know, she's won the W <laughs> Series twice. Why, but she could be somewhere else. I mean, I'm going to get slightly... On. Go on, go Ooh. on. Go on the soapbox there with Jamie. You know, she sort of says, you know, she couldn't find a budget for Formula 3. Well, um, well, she's got a million dollars in the bank, and I think her family's reasonably wealthy, and other wealthy parents of boys are spending that money for F3. There was a story that she had a contract from... Um, was that a New Zealand guy that's built a uh, road car? Rodin. Rodin, David yeah. Decker. Yeah. I, I'd heard that Jamie had a contract, you know, to, to buy a Formula 3 ride for her, but then she went and did that Formula Regional series yeah. with... Um, Prima, and the four Prima cars, only 12 cars on the grid, you know, and every race qualifying, Prima, 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 one, two, three, and um, Prima, 12th. Yeah. And in the race, you know, Jamie couldn't hack it in, you know, a, a, a formula dominated by the young lads, you know, and yeah, I'm afraid she's just not quite quick enough. Yeah. She's I mean- very, very good, but the fact mm-hmm. is... You know, she's not quick enough. And the, the longer she stays in W Series and dominates W Series isn't helping the other no, women. No, Because, no. you know, we'll, we know that Jamie's not quite quick enough in the real world, so you're not quite quick enough either. So I, it's a, I mean, the point is it's a great series for getting more girls to go karting age seven or eight. That's why I hope W Series is doing. I mean, yeah. It's a great show on its own. Yeah, uh, It's not finding a Grand Prix driver for the next five years unless you buy a drive I completely so agree money. I mean we've we've spoken to but, Catherine Bommure about this we've spoken to various other people about Abby Eaton and Alice and, and other drivers yeah, in it and, and yeah. they, they say themselves there's a life cycle to this there's going to be five, ten years, it's not going to be, you know, the Jamie Chadwick, no. the Alice Powell's at this stage. But there are good female drivers out there that aren't in W Series. And we had Sophia Flourish mm. on the show, um, yeah. who's doing some terrific things in sports cars and, and really, you know, and going out, putting a foot down and topping the timing sheets uh, against the boys. Yeah. And and it's been quite vocal about W Series and doesn't necessarily agree with it. Um, Are you sure she's been topping timesheets? In I practice. caught one yeah. of those. Yeah, in practice she has. Okay, um, but she's but the, the issue. The very, issue very is, good. You know, it, it's finding the a Lewis Hamiltonette, you know, a Louise Hamilton yeah. or, or a Maxine Verstappen. What I'd like to know, I keep on meaning never something I need time to do, is to get hold of the MSA and see how many more girls are buying cart licenses because that would, to me, that would show W Series working or not working. Yeah. yeah, if more girls are joining the karting cadet ranks, then that might prove W Series working. Yeah. If the, if the girl ratio is flat. 
then nothing's really changing, you know, because we've just got to get more girls in carts to look for that. There is a talent out there somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. There's um, somebody there. And, and think people, the more people who yeah. start to realise that the, the current, I suppose the current W Series grid, not, I don't think any of them are going to be the next Formula One driver. It's not for them. But I do for... feel sorry for the boys, though. You know, I mean, you, you see Calderon, you know, she's had a Formula One test. She's been a Formula yeah. One driver. She's got IndyCar. She's done Japanese supercar. She's done Formula Two, you know. I mean, you know, she's not quite quick enough. And these young lads that would love to be associated with the Formula One team, you know, it's all the women that are getting the sort of reserve driver and computer well, yeah, driver. And, uh, but F1, you know, F1's always been like that, hasn't it, really? For every, even for the men, even for every one seat, there's, you know, hundreds and, and thousands of, of guys who, who want that seat as well, isn't it? What, what yeah. I'm hearing in, in the single seat ladder, at least, it's, it, the main crux of the issue is to do with the steering rack and how heavy it is. Yeah. Um, and that's well, that's the main crux of the issue, yeah. apparently, but at the moment. So that's true. That's what Abby Eaton said to that. me. I, I bumped into Abby Eaton on the way back from Miami, and she was saying exactly that. She said the, yeah. the problem is for her, particularly after being injured, because she had a nasty crash where she did a yeah, yeah. She said, I, I just don't have the strength in, in you know, without the power assist to, to turn that wheel properly. And it's a fundamental yeah. problem that's, that's stopping. Well, at least Formula One, Formula has power assistance. Yeah, so uh, that's, that's the weird thing, right? On the build up, it's harder yeah. and then it gets easier. <laughs> So it's like you stick maybe maybe you stick Jamie in an F one car maybe she'd actually be really yeah, good, but yeah. Formula two yeah. at all. Yeah. So that's the, the bizarre, bizarre thing about it. Um, we, we, I mean, we've got sidetracked a little bit there, but brilliant to chat about uh, a bit of W series. We're running a little bit out of time. I just want to touch on your broadcasting career as well, though, Tiff. Obviously, which is what you currently do now, and, and you know. Many people, of course, know you if they didn't already as a racing driver from you know the original Top Gear, oh, uh, yeah, yeah or the, the early nineties as well. The 90s, uh, fifteen years of my life on oh, Top Gear. Well, I mean, fifteen how, I years mean, on Fifth Gear. What? How? Are you, the Top Gear Fifth Gear. I mean, how do you look back on those years? I mean, to, to kickstart Top Gear, which turned into one of the you know the biggest shows. Yeah, uh, we were we, we were there the earliest. I was there before Jeremy. Again, that was a sideshow. I didn't even look to be you know on television. It was just you know I was trying to get jobs everywhere to keep. <laughs> get a living going because uh, you know I worked alongside Murray Walker obviously I was so lucky you know, that I got dragged into the commentary box I was one of the earliest you know expert analysts because they didn't really exist you know when I started joining James Hunt was doing it with Murray in Formula 1 but uh, BBC Grandstand used to do a lot of Formula 3 Formula 4 Festival Rallycross touring cars live you know, live outside broadcasts and uh, James Hunt couldn't be bothered to do those. <laughs> so I, I got called and worked alongside Murray for three or four years you know as, as the expert analyst and um, so the BBC had heard my voice and knew my phone number. So when Chris Coffey broke his leg when he was about to test the Formula, the Formula First racing car, uh, they phoned me up to, to do the do the just do the driving for me. In fact, that first item, 1987, this was, uh, they never showed my face. I was a bit like the blueprint stick. <laughs> so all, all I did was drive and talk, but they never saw me out of the car. Chris Coffey still presented the, the item. Um, but before I did that, I thought, you know, I often watch telly, a bit like I still say about Formula One. It looks too easy. I'll just turn in the corner, turn out the corner. Which, of course, is what power steering does. That's why Formula One onboards look so boring compared with Indy. Indy car, the puppy ah, steering wheels yeah. doing this, you know, this opposite <laughs> lock gun. So it looks hard. But Formula One on, boys, yeah, into, you watch Lewis when he's on record-breaking laps chasing the leader, and it just looks too easy. So I deliberately thought, oh, if I just kick it sideways a bit, you know, I knew it wasn't the quickest way around the racetrack, as all the Formula First drivers told me. But, of course, then you're the BBC. Couldn't believe, because I was so near crashing at every corner but to them. And um, so that's how it starts, 87. Then uh, Jeremy joined about a year later to bring a bit of humour, his own brand of humour. Yeah, he's got that. 
And then uh, he got Joe, Quentin Wilson in to talk a little bollocks about second-hand cars. <laughs> and um, so Top Gear took off. You know, the mid-90s, we had the same sort of six million viewers as they have now. And uh, it was brilliant for 10 years. And then Jeremy decided to be chat show host, so he left. And then Quentin Wilson decided he's going to make millions selling European imported cars. He left. And uh, so the, the figures died. And then we got taken off air in, what, 2001. So... Uh, I went to one of the old producers of, of Top Gear and I said, well, this is ridiculous. It's still a good show. Yeah. So we went to Channel 5 and said, you know, because I could get all the directors and crew. It was only about a six-person team, you know, running Top Gear in those wow. days in Birmingham. So we all left and created Fifth Gear. So uh, that one ran for 15 years, but that's run out of channels now. The budgets get yeah. tighter and tighter, you know. Unless you're Top Gear with a million pounds a show. A million pounds a show! God. Yeah, you could do a lot with that. You could um, do a lot with that. But, um, you know, fifth, fifth gear, we were down to about £50,000 an hour. You know, Even that sounds a lot to me, but yeah, um, it's yeah. not enough to make a good TV show anymore. Well, Tiff, before we... So, on, now, so now I'm on Love Cars. Love hey, cars. Love Cars. Hey, on. Go and YouTube. check it out. YouTube, podcasts, the full world. Podcasts, um, TV series. Tiff, I'm really keen to get your views on the current state of Formula One. People, it, I mean, Formula One went through a bit of a bad patch a few years ago. It seems to pick back up again. We've got new regulations, new... Uh, new crop of drivers that seem to be coming in as the old guard starting to go out. What's your take on modern Formula One? Do you like it? No, not a good one. <laughs> I mean, I ranted a rave. When they had this ridiculous five seconds a lap faster, which somehow they said the public wanted for, when was that? What, what, six years ago now? It was seven years ago. They changed these yeah. massive high downforce cars. And I kept on crying out at people. You can't see five seconds yeah, a lap faster. No. You know, the first laps of the Grand Prix... They're going six seconds laps slower than pole position. But you can't see it. You know, and in fact, the most exciting races are always when it's a bit greasy and wet and half and half and half wet, half dry. And they're going 10 lap, 10 seconds slower. But it's more exciting to watch. Anyway, they insisted on these ridiculous cars that go faster and faster. Then, of course, you know, I'm... I had great hopes of Ross Braun. I thought, really, in this new formula, it was going to be the way to go. And, and despite everyone in the sky and everyone who works within Formula One having to say, oh, yes, it's much better now, it's not much better now. I mean, we were dreaming of getting rid of DRS. I mean, that we were, we were contemplating this new regulations might get rid of the horrible artificial overtaking aid that is DRS. I mean, no way. I mean, absolutely. You know, I mean, oh, yes, they follow closely. They follow a little bit closer. But all the exciting races, was it Saudi and then and, uh, Canada, they're all triple DRS tracks. Mm. And every time, I mean, even that great Barcelona, when Max was trying to catch George, you know, he'd be on his gearbox at turn one. By the time they got to DRS one, he was nearly 0.7 behind after turn three, four, five, six, seven. Down DRS one, he catches up to his gearbox again. And they go to that left-hand hair point, just through those last sort of four or five corners before they started the straighter game, George is, you know, 0.6 ahead. And so they use the DRS to catch them. I mean, you know, Canada, Perez would have been less left in max dust if there hadn't been direct DRS. You know, he would have been left behind. He used those three DRSs just to catch him up each lap. So, you know, we haven't created cars that can follow close enough. Close enough. You watch IndyCar. IndyCar points to just nose to tail, opposite lock-on because they're lighter, you know, and they've got aero that's well, it's all the same cars. So I think we're kidding ourselves. I think we're stuck with these flipping cars for four years, and it will need DRS. We're not going to get rid of DRS at all. Um, the porpoising thing, 
I don't agree they should change the rules this year. I'm, I'm with Red Bull. <laughs> I wasn't quite with Red Bull at the end of last year. I wasn't quite a fan of theirs. <laughs> but um, no, I think the regulations, you know, Red Bull is a fantastic job. Ferrari pretty good and Mercedes haven't and other teams haven't. I think, you know, you can't change the rules until this winter, um, even if you think that the drivers get pounded. Well, the drivers wouldn't get pounded if the teams just raised them right up by two millimetres. They go slower. So it's not saying, you know, the FIA, you must save the drivers from being injured. No, it's up to each individual team's responsibility, mm-hmm. you know, to make the cars drivable. And if that means going a bit slower, well, so be it. But uh, no, I, I don't know. They're huge. They're like articulated lorries. So they're the same same size of a Rolls-Royce Phantom, the wheelbase and the, the footprint. Yeah. Uh, whenever you see them in a historic paddock alongside their older brethren, I mean, it's just ridiculous how long they are. They so, are, they are. And it doesn't make it easy for, you know, life around places like Monaco, where you need no, to be well, nimble. Never, never is easy. But, uh, I mean, I still love the formula. I love the battle between each of the two drivers and each team, you know. I think Perez isn't quite as good as people recently. We all love Checo, but, you know, any time... He only won Monaco because he crashed in qualifying. Because when he crashed, Max was on a faster lap, and so was George. So, you know, if Checo hadn't put the yellows out, Max would have qualified ahead of him. And the, the history of the world had been different. So... Uh, but it's great. I mean, I love the George versus Lewis battle because that's mm. really fun. Because I think George really is one of the greatest talents coming up to the ranks. Um, and I think Lewis, you know, I, mean, I can understand Lewis not really been prepared to put himself through quite as much pressure as George is at the moment. You know, George is the young gun prepared to kill his neck, kill his backbone, everything, you know, if he's going to go yeah. quick. Uh, but that's a great battle going on between those two. The Ferraris, you know, again, science isn't really quite as good as... Um, I always think when I look at Strolls and Latifis, and you sort of think, what are you doing there? And I sort of sum it up. They're, all very, they're very good drivers. You know, they're not rubbish. But people like rubbish. They're ex. They've won Formula 2 races and Formula 3 championships. But, you know, Ferrari or would Ferrari, Mercedes or Red Bull ever hire any of them? You know, that's what judges. Even Mick Schumacher, you know, I don't think any of the top teams. You know, I think he's had a couple of years and uh, we need to get more young guns in. Yeah. 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 And, and the way you do that, I suppose, is by having uh, more opportunities on the grid, yeah. which comes from your idea of having more cars, which I'm all for as well. I, 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 it's impossible. I almost wish we could have a sort of bit like football where you could have, you know, relegation and, and, and you know, the top premium yeah, and the Trident that, yeah. can come up from F2 yeah. for a year yeah. and then Williams and Haas would have to go and Oh, that was another brilliant F2. idea. Another brilliant idea. Quick, I'm running oh, out of time for brilliant yeah. ideas. So the FIA that's got stinky amounts of money, right, buys a Williams seat for the next five or ten years. So they'd, they'd agree to pay the budget fund sponsors. And the winner of the Formula 2 championship is offered that seat. So, so imagine the end of the season championship now. You will be a Grand Prix driver next year if you win this Formula 2 championship. Yeah. And what happens? Almost, they could do the same, because Indy have that, IndyCar have that um, step up. I don't know who sponsors it now. They have the, you, you get a million dollars for winning. Yeah, the Mazda yeah. road to Indy through Indy Lights. Mazda, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. again, for FIA can sponsor a Formula 3 car and a Formula 2 car. So, the, so you then know the publicity there. The champion will, and obviously if the winner of the F2 is contracted to Ferrari and doesn't want to take the drive, then the second place guy will be offered it. Yeah. You know, but, but you know, have something like that, some sort of step up, you know. But I do love the midfield battle in Formula 1 at the moment. I think it's weird how... One weekend is McLaren fourth and fifth, and yeah. then they're fourteenth and fifteenth. Then Alpha fourteenth and fifteenth go to fourth and fifth, and those three teams. And then Aston Martin suddenly finishes sixth. And you're like, oh, yeah. what? How's that working? <laughs> I know so it's it's quite interesting. They got up and down the grid in the midfield, 
McLaren's the, the one thing I think. The moment. They're really struggling for some reason. I don't know. You know. Yeah. That's the one thing I think these new regulations have done. I mean, I still need a convincing, uh, but I think it's certainly... I mean, the midfield fight has always been fairly good, sort of no matter yeah, what, there's the, always what, been what battling, the regulations you know. are. But it's yeah. done, I think, particularly this year, you know, Haas are back in it, Alfa Romeo are back in it. That's good to see. You don't want teams yeah. languishing seconds off the pace. Williams need to get their act together a bit more. Mm. But, uh, you know, I'm sure in, in time, fingers crossed. Um, look, Tiff, we, we are running out of time, but we have got a <laughs> final three questions that okay, we ask okay. to all of our guests, brought to you uh, by... My F1 experiences. Uh, Tim, do you want to kick off? Sure. Tiff, what's got you excited at this very moment? Could be anything. What about Formula One? Anything. Anything. Oh, playing golf at Bearwood Lakes. Oh, it's a wonderful, wonderful golf course. Thanks. I'm really looking forward to that. That's Bearwood Lakes is such beautiful. a great track. Excellent. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that like at the that. moment. Oh, very nice. Okay, uh, second question. Uh, how much of uh, success or your success is down to luck and right place, right time? And how much is down to, to sheer hard work? It's all down to luck and the right place, the right time. <laughs> when, you, when you've won a racing car to get your career started, you know, there, there's, there's um, nothing more lucky than that. And then, you know, I, lucked, I got a, the Durex Formula One scholarship I got to, to move up to Formula One in the, in the British Formula One championship. That was a bit of luck I got into that. That got me racing a Formula One car. So now it's always been luck and phone ringing at the right time. But you've got to be there, got to be there to be in the position to receive those phone calls. Um, final question for you, and then we'll let you get on with your day. What are you scared of? Not a lot. Hmm. I don't know. Not, no, nothing. I like heights. So oh, heights. Heights. Oh. But I can't, I can look down. I can go to the edge of a cliff. I've got a weird form of, Ooh. I can get to the edge of a cliff and look down, no trouble at all. I can't look up. So going across the, the big suspension bridges of Wales, right? Driving, yeah? yeah? If I look up at all them things... How bizarre. I go, well, I go all weird. That's I'm not really scared really. of it. It's actually a bodily yeah. um, problem That's that my body does really suddenly... Sort of reverse like, vertigo, yeah. kind of. But no, yeah. I, am looking for, I am looking forward to be at Silver on Sunday, as always. Yes. And I'm looking forward to watching the Formula 2 and the Formula 3 and... I hate it when I see all these corporates sitting having their bloody champagne at 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock and I'm hosting them so I'm, I love you corporate <laughs> people that I meet. <laughs> and I'm always trying to say get out now this Formula yeah, 2 yeah. this Formula 3 no no and, and then Super Cup you know we've, we've got some Harry Harry's out in Harry the Formula King of, yeah yeah he could win I've tweeted that I said go out and watch Harry you know yeah. And they'll know. I'm you know Super Cup's players, good racing you know. actually it's very good racing yeah. I know that's why I tell them the best yeah. races the Silverstone isn't the best of tracks, to be honest, for Formula One. You know, no, again, correct. it can be. Um, so get out and watch. You know, and then I say, you know, a driver's parade's coming. Oh, they all leap up out their marquees uh. and rush it to watch 20 people on the back of a truck talking to each other and occasionally waving. <laughs> no. Uh, well, listen, Tiff, have a brilliant yeah. weekend. Um, I'll see you this evening at uh, Glass Grand Prix Ball. Bubbly. Glass Grand of Bubbly. 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 I'm bringing the missus, so we'll heckle you when you're on stage. Um, <laughs> but it's been brilliant to have you on the show. It's actually very refreshing My to hear pleasure. someone um, speak Good. the truth, not sit on the fence <laughs> and and uh, cast an opinion. It's, it's brilliant <laughs> to hear. We need more people that are going to say no I disagree in motorsport because there's an awful lot of yes men but um, thank you so much for joining us on the Motormouth podcast and we'll see you soon cheers all the best
If you've been listening to this and thinking, actually, I really want to go and experience a race for myself in person, why not do it in style at a Formula One Grand Prix thanks to F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences really is the closest you can get to the sport. Official ticket packages, which include the best race tickets, first class hotels, travel and exclusive behind the scenes access across a Grand Prix weekend. F1 Experiences offer packages like no other. So to book your F1 Experiences package, head online to f1experiences.com and if you enter code MM11F1E, you'll get 5% off too. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumours quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.